Hi, this is Jim Lyon. You're listening to Viewpoint with me today. My friend, my brother, our co-host, Jay Harvey. How are you, Jim? Jay, so good to see you. Thanks for coming alongside. Thanks for having me back. Uh, I'm excited. We are always good to see you. And, you know, this spring, we're talking about a figure that I know you admire greatly. An historic character who passed away some years ago, but her legacy and her life still informs, inspires, and dares us to be all that we can be. Her name is Corrie Ten Boom. Mm. Jay, I know that you uh, read a book once that she wrote. Do you remember the name of that book? Uh, Tramp for the Lord. And I got to tell you, I was speaking at this little pastor's group, and they gave me a little gift card to the bookstore, and I was going to the bookstore, and I just saw this book, Tramp for the Lord, and Corey Ten Boom, and I'd heard of her name, I didn't know her story. Read the book, changed my life once again as I learned just how big and awesome our God is. And what, what an inspiration and a witness for, for Christ Corey was. Tramp for the Lord. I own that book, and I can see the cover of it right now in my yes. eyes as you name it. It's kind of an odd title. Mm-hmm. Tramp is not a word. <laughs> That's we probably what usually, led me to it. I, I don't you know, know, but... It's not a word that we always use <laughs> describing people, but this woman, Corrie ten Boom, saw herself as someone, as a vagabond, as an yes. ambassador, as someone who was passing through always for the Lord that had redeemed her and and inspired her. And when we come back, Jay, let's revisit a little bit of the kernel of her story, because I know many of our listeners will not know her story, even mm-hmm. as you did not tell you right. about the book. But once we get the foundation of her story, then the rest of her life also comes into full view. And I promise you, stay with us. Your life can be changed today. All right. Here are a few questions about Corrie ten Boom. Where was she born? She's Dutch. Dutch. That's called the Netherlands, yes, Jay. Yes, of course. <laughs> that's where she Holland. Grew. That's where she was born, and that's where she grew up, a town called Harlem. Right. And uh, her father, do you remember what he did for a vocation? He was a watchmaker. He was a watchmaker. They had a watch shop. Yes. Uh, her mother died earlier on, and she lived in this house with her dad and her sister, Betsy. Mm-hmm. Uh, she had a brother also and a sister otherwise, but... These two gals, Betsy and Corey, never married and lived on with their dad in the watch shop. Yes. And uh, it was a place where, the, you can imagine, in the Netherlands, right. a little storefront on the street and then multi-stories above, like a townhouse only going up to the sky. I this can was, picture it, yes. That was her home. All right, so were these people religious or were they not? They were religious. Very religious. Yes. And her father was a very devout man of God who instructed his daughters in the scripture Their mother was also. She just passed away as they were young women, and they lived on with their dad. But he was constantly bringing them to the devotional table. They would pray before they would eat. They had Bible studies in their house. They were faithful at church. The girls, Betsy and Corey, were investing in children's ministries to raise them up the way they'd been raised. I mean, this was a family very devout. Now, she was born 125 years ago. Betsy was a couple years older. They grew up in Holland Mm -hmm. before the war. Right. They lived through World War I when Holland was neutral, but in World War II, the Nazis invaded and occupied Holland for many years. Right. And this family, the Ten Booms, another question for you, Jay. Yes. 
During the war, as the Nazis occupied Holland and they began to turn the screws tighter and tighter against the Dutch people, mm -hmm. you know, Hitler wanted to turn Holland into a German province. And he wanted to see the Aryan Dutch, people that he considered to be worthy by birth and their ethnicity, mm -hmm. German citizens, and everybody else in Holland was to be deported or killed. That was the plan. Right. So as the screws were being turned, the Jews are being rounded up and others who didn't fit Hitler's scheme, mm -hmm. how did the Ten Booms react? They took in those who needed refuge. That's right. And they developed a room, actually, in their, their house. That's right. They, they created a room. They built a room in the back and the upper stories, and they called it the hiding place. Yes. And in that hiding place were Dutch resistance fighters who mm -hmm. were on the run and Jews and other undesirables by the Nazi lens mm -hmm. who were doomed to death and the Ten Booms, their aged father, his name Casper, Betsy, and Corey, uh, now middle-aged women, mm -hmm. risked everything, their lives, to right. save the lives of these people who are under the Nazi scope. Right. And why did they do that? Well, obviously because their foundation was in Christ. And uh, not knowing how it might turn out for them, they knew one thing, and that is that before the bracelet ever came out, what would Jesus do? They just knew that they needed to provide safe harbor for those in harm's way with what they had, with what they could do, and that's what they did. And the risk yes. was overwhelming. And it's easy for us to look backwards and know, well, the Nazis lost the war and you know everything right. settled well. <laughs> but in those days, they had no idea what would happen next, but they were willing to put everything, including their lives, on the line and then... On one sad day in February of 1944, betrayed by a Dutch informant to the Gestapo, mm. the Nazis showed up at their house at the watch shop and rounded them up. And on that day, there were a group of refugees in the hiding place, mm -hmm. and they were never discovered. So amazing. The six people in the hiding place on that very day, and who knows how many more had passed through over the years that they were involved in this kind of refugee ministry— on that day, those six people sat in silence in that hiding place for mm. 47 hours, fearful to even breathe out loud as the ten booms, the dad and the two daughters, mm -hmm. were carried off by the Nazis to prison. Right. They stayed for 47 hours until other Dutch resistance underground came to the house and released them. They all escaped and survived the war. But not so fortunate for the Ten Booms, right. because Casper, the dad, will be dead in 10 days. Mm -hmm. Betsy and Corey will be shipped off to a Nazi concentration camp, the only one the Nazis built just for women, mm -hmm. called Ravensbrück, mm -hmm. 56 miles north of Berlin. Mm. Only 15% of the 135,000 people imprisoned at Ravensbrück survived the war. Mm. Betsy did not. She died there. Corey did. Ah. And that brings us where we want to start next. Corey survived through a, a clerical error. She was released just before the war's end and just before everyone else in the camp her age was gassed to death. Mm -hmm. She walked as a free woman out onto a muddy road, right. found herself back to the Holland, and there began the adventure of a lifetime telling her story about the love of God. Can you draw a picture in your mind, Jay Harvey, of Corrie ten Boom? Describe her to me. Yes. How does she look? Uh, she looks grandmotherly. She looks very conservatively dressed. She looks uh, like she's ready to travel. Um, she looks 
a lot like you would imagine a, a grandmother, really. That's that's the picture she, I have in my head. She has kind of a matronly look yes. about her. And I actually saw her in person when I was a university student. She came and spoke at my school, Seattle Pacific University, spoke for a week there unforgettably. Mm. Wow. I remember that she looked very much like my grandmother, just as you've described. Mm -hmm. She had a tiny floral print dress. By that, I mean the dress was not tiny, but the right. floral print was really tiny. Right. And she had big, black, clunky shoes with huge, black, <laughs> chunky heels mm -hmm. and a little wrap, like a sweater or a shawl each day. Her hair gray in a bun, mm -hmm. glasses, very jovial and friendly, approachable, non-threatening, grandmotherly. Right. The reason we recall her that way is because that's how we knew her on the stage. Because beginning in the 1950s and all the way through to her passing in the 1980s, she became a fixture all around the world telling her story about the love of God and how you can forgive even those who, well, rob you of life like the Nazis. Right. Her ministry was so far reaching that there are untold millions of people who developed faith in God through Christ as a consequence of her witness. She became a staple at Billy Graham Crusades, mm -hmm. where she would appear before Dr. Graham would address the audience from the Word and tell her story. There isn't anyone who met her, who heard her, or who saw her who said, you don't have the right to say that. Right. Because she had endured such unspeakable suffering. Exactly. In a camp where women were subjected to hard labor to the point of death, where they were starved to death, where they were gassed to death, where they were the subjects of cruel medical experiments without their permission. The horrors that they saw, a place she called the darkest place hell could imagine, mm. qualified her to speak. And the only reason she was there is because she risked her life to save others that she didn't even know. I mean, it's such an amazing story. But how did that happen? How did this woman crawl out of that camp <laughs> A middle-aged woman without a family surviving hardly. She had a sister and a brother that survived. But, I mean, her closest companion, her sister Betsy, had died in the camp. Her dad died at the hands of the Nazis 10 days after his arrest. The house is upended. Everything in her life is turned upside down. She's on a muddy road without money, without future. And for many people, at a stage of life where you would just retire and roll over and play dead, right. how did she stand up then and actually open a whole nother chapter of her life in her <laughs> 60s Yes, that changed the world. And that brings us to a verse, her favorite verse. Right. One of the verses she said was her most treasured. She called it the most joyful commandment of the Bible. Mm. It's in Ephesians. What does it say? It says in Ephesians 5.18, let the Holy Spirit fill and control you. Let the Holy Spirit fill and control you. Those are two different verbs there. Right. Fill and control. Right. And when she was talking about this verse, she always wanted to emphasize that in the original Greek of the New Testament in which it was written, that verb, English verb, fill, actually was more accurately translated as to be being filled. Right. A kind of constant filling. Like right. if you could imagine a, a fresh spigot of clean, pure water on and running constantly. Right. A continuous state. It, it is something that I think as I read back over some of the book that I read, The Tramp for the Lord, and and knowing about her story is you'd often find her in places where she she wasn't sure what to do or how she would get the strength to go another day, another hour, or how to get the strength even in her later years during ministry uh, when she faced some tough situations, how to handle them. And this one verse, let the Holy Spirit fill and control you, continually being filled, being controlled and guided by the Holy Spirit is something that she always quickly came back to. And then she would find the strength 
God would give her the way, give her the words, give her the clarity. And it's, it's that day-to-day living that I think Jesus talks about. And, and each day uh, we, we wake up and we allow the Holy Spirit to fill us again in a way that really says that we're dependent upon him, not our own strength. And so many of us, we get right with God or we have a relationship with Jesus and then we turn to somewhat of a manual or program or structure that then we must follow. And she was just the opposite. She leaned on God every day for what she needed. She was wholly dependent on him. Yes. The Holy Spirit. We talk a lot about Jesus. We talk about God, God the Father. Who is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit, we believe, is the person of God, Mm -hmm. the Trinity of God. There is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. But God the Holy Spirit sometimes gets the short end of the stick in most of our conversation. (laughs) And let's just be clear here. Corey believed in an orthodox view of the Scripture, even as you and I do, Jay, that Mm -hmm. the Holy Spirit is a supernatural presence of God striving in our hearts. And for anyone listening today who has a sense that you want to be right with God, you want to be surrendered into God's hand, you're conscious of your own sin and failure, and you know there's nothing you can do about it, and you're, you're learning and yearning for some way to resolve that gap. You want to be at peace with God. You want to be born again. All of those things that happen in the human heart are consequent to the Holy Spirit striving within you. Take heart, even if you feel badly today or you feel ashamed or you are not certain what to do next, but you're struggling and you're longing for something better with God, that's the Holy Spirit in you without mm-hmm. the Spirit working you wouldn't care. right? So that's the first step. The Spirit is convicting us of sin and drawing us to the Son of God, Jesus. Mm-hmm. And that's, you might call, a first work of grace. And that's what Corey experienced, and she knew it. And she knew the Spirit was in her, even in the earliest days as she became a believer as a young woman. But as life marched on and she endured so much, she became to discover that there was an even deeper sense of the Holy Spirit she could know, which brings us to the continual filling and the controlling. The Spirit empowered her and equipped her, but it wasn't the same as actually controlling and governing her. Right. So in 1954, which is a few years after the wars ended, she's She's helping survivors of the war. She has been inspired to open up some homes and camps for people in post-war Europe who are just decimated. Uh, She is not a respecter person. She'll help anyone, even the Germans who had oppressed her country. Mm -hmm. She was game to be forgiving, and the Lord empowered her to do that. All that's evidence of the Spirit in her life. But in 1954, she's in her hometown of Harlem, Holland. It's a rainy day. She's hurrying from one thing to the next. She feels a little bit in between, like... I thought I knew exactly what I was doing, but now I'm not so sure what I should do next. She had always had a kind of definitive sense of direction, but she was at a change point, a little disoriented, maybe exhausted, maybe just worn out, emotionally spent. We don't know. But on that rainy day, she's hustling down the street from the train station to the place where she will spend the night. She slips on the pavement. She falls. She fears she's broken her hip. The pain is excruciating. She cries out to God, heal me. The Lord takes the pain away, but she's still immobilized, cannot get up. Some people come alongside, help her to a hospital. She's in a patient then in the hospital. She's determined that her hip is not broken, but it's severely bruised. She's going to be bedfast for weeks. Right. And she's still disoriented. And now the sense of kind of detached from God and not sure what to do next. And now it's compounded by physical pain. Mm -hmm. She's immobilized. It's a it's a dark time. It's, it's a downtime. This woman who had endured all the concentration camps and everything finds herself again wrestling. Mm. She cried out. She said, isn't there anybody in this town? Isn't there a Christian sufficient with faith to pray that I could get healed? She's frustrated. She's kind of 
getting into a demanding mode. Right. Somebody hears her plea and sends over a pastor she doesn't know, a Dutch guy who has prayed for people to be healed. And when he gets to her bedside, what does he say? He actually says, is there any unconfessed sin in your life? What a question. <laughs> my, I'm, I'm crippled here by this injury, and you're asking me about my sin? How dare right. you? I mean, right. this is what she recounted later was in her heart. Who does he think he is? And that's so off point. Right. But as soon as he asked the question, she is overwhelmed with a sense of guilt because she realized how cross she had become, how she was just unkind. And even the nurses who are caring for her, she snaps at them and, mm-hmm. and is pushing them away. And she's overwhelmed by the sense of she's not being very much like the Jesus she talks about all the time. Wow, how convicted. She's convicted. The Spirit's working in her. And she just says out loud to the stranger man who's come to pray with her, Oh, my goodness, Pastor, you can't know how ashamed I am the way I've treated people and the way I've been cross and unkind and, and so self-preoccupied. I confess that, dear Jesus in heaven, forgive me of my sin. Mm. And she said when that happened, when that came out of her mouth, she was overwhelmed by a filling of the Holy Spirit. She said it washed over her. In fact, she says that it was so powerful she had to beg God, no more, no more, because I can't take it anymore. She's just like going to explode. Wow. And she knew that this was the filling of the Holy Spirit, not just the partial possession, but the complete immersion in the Holy Spirit. She's 61 years old. It's 1954. And now her life has turned a page again. Wow. Jay, you're a young guy. I'm an old guy, but you're a young man. Think about this. Your whole life turning a page in your 60s, -hmm. where everything you've done before suddenly fades into the rearview mirror and a whole new chapter opens up where you become a figure on a world stage changing the course of lifetimes. Wow. Wow. And Corrie ten Boom would say, that's because it was in that moment Mm -hmm. she was immersed in the Spirit who then propelled her into this new day. Yes. You know, I don't know where you are today. Maybe you haven't taken that first step. You have not said, Lord, I just want to be redeemed. I want to be born again. The Spirit's striving in you, but you haven't yet surrendered your life into the Lord's hand. Folks, wherever you are, whatever your story, you can do that today. And the Spirit is in you, pushing you, prompting you, calling you, loving you. Maybe, though, you've already done that, but you still find yourself at odds with the world, Mm -hmm. and you're just not sure what to do next, and you're feeling like you're a little disoriented, or maybe you found yourself being a little bit cross. You know, Jim, as you say that, it it just strikes me that I think that so many people can identify with, with this story because maybe they have asked Christ into their life. Maybe they have had that that encounter with the Holy Spirit, but then there is some things that have happened over time, and they haven't had a place to to verbalize them. And it's almost as if now we're saying, if there's unconfessed sin in your life, even as a believer, and you don't feel comfortable in confessing that in the church where you go or the people that you know that are Christians, because you might think that you're less than now or that they won't accept what you have to say. It's almost as if we, we go on pretending and, and we have nowhere to verbalize this. And what I know is happening right now is that No, the Lord is saying, look, yes, it is me that's asking, and just pour it out so that I can fill you up again. And it's so important, this message, that even when we think that's all there is, there's more. So don't be afraid. And if you have something on your heart, even right now, that you feel guilty about, 
we're ashamed of or just wish we're not so, confess it. Yes. Because that is the avenue by which the Spirit can fill you completely. Yes. Because the Spirit cannot occupy space where you hold on to things you know are wrong. Mm. And so you just have to lay it down. I love what Corey would say often after that experience in her 60s. She said, the question is not whether you have the Holy Spirit. Mm. The question is whether the Holy Spirit has you. And friends today, whatever your stage of relationship to Jesus, whether you're at the first stage of just wanting to be born again and be made new, or you're at a later stage where you just want to be completely immersed by the Holy Spirit, the Lord is right close by now. Mm -hmm. And you can take a step to be absolutely at peace with Him by joining us in prayer. Our Father, we're so thankful that you know us by name. You know each one of our stories. You know where we've been, what we've done, what we should have done, and what we have not done. Mm. And Lord, first I want to lift up to anyone listening who simply wants to be born again, Mm -hmm. who wants to be given new life and to be made right with you through faith in your son Jesus and knowing that he paid the price for our sin on the cross. Lord, for each one, Lord, hear their heart cry as they confess now they want to be yours and to be made new, to be born again in Christ Hear their prayer, I know you are. And for everyone, Lord, listening who may have already crossed that threshold and has been born again but does not feel completely immersed in the Spirit, you're not filled with the Spirit, you're not clothed by the Spirit, the Spirit is not filling and controlling you, Lord, I pray that you'll hear their heart cry too. If there be anything that's in the way, anything that needs to be confessed or surrendered, help us to know what it is and then to do it. Mm-hmm. Lord, I pray that you will just bathe us and pour your spirit over us and in us, that we, like Corey Ten Boom, might know what it's like to be not just partly filled, but completely filled by the Spirit today, now. Lord, thank you for hearing our prayer. Thank you for giving us a spirit of life. And we pray in the single sacred name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. If you'd like to know more about how you can be at peace with God, how your life can unfold in fresh new ways, how you can find purpose and meaning, how you can be free from shame, and how you can be filled by the Spirit, give us a call. Just dial this number 1-800-757-VIEW. That's 1-800-757-8439, 24 hours a day and seven days a week. We're by the phone. We are so anxious to hear from you. But Jay, if someone does not want to call, they feel a little more comfortable maybe going online. How would they find us? What's our web address? It is www.cbhviewpoint.org. CBH, Christians Broadcasting Hope. That's who we are, cbhviewpoint.org. Read about the ministry there. Send us an email. We will reply. Or at the last, just send me a letter. Use surface mail. Address it to Jim Lyon, Viewpoint. Post Office Box 2420, Anderson, Indiana, 46018, USA. But whether you reach out to us by phone, online, or by mail, Let us hear from you. Jay Harvey, always glad to see your face. Thanks for coming in today. Always inspirational. And yes, this Corey Ten Boom will really do a number on you if you just read the book. Absolutely. And in fact, we're going to talk about Corey Ten Boom and her testimony, her experience, her journey next week on Viewpoint 2. Join us. Jay and I will be right back here. We hope you will be too. But until then, for all of us at the Viewpoint Ministry team, this is Jim Lyon. Stay tuned.